have you ever been in a home with somebody who's learning an instrument? Right. Yeah, I can tell by the laughter you all have, right? And so, it, you know, you could be like me and not really have a musical bone in your body, but you can hear notes and you just know, well, that's not the way it's supposed to sound, right? And sometimes those notes can be painful. And there's nothing really you can do to help it. Like, I, like there's nothing I can come alongside and say, you know, if you tweak this, if you make this adjustment, then it'll sound good. I mean, I have no knowledge to bring to the table. There's nothing I can do. All I know is that's not right. You know, that's even painful, even hurts. And so there's not much you really can do. I mean, I can maybe close the door, try to go to another room, and I don't have to hear it. Um, and sometimes you even wonder, can this instrument be mastered? Like, are you ever going to learn it? And then just about the time when you think you should give up or quicker than you thought, what happens? All of a sudden, there's beautiful music in the home. And that music that was at one time painful and kind of difficult to listen to, all of a sudden now it really is beautiful. And there's this life-giving, refreshing quality to the music that now fills the home. You know, this Sunday, we are wrapping up our study in First Peter. Uh, we're not really finishing our confidence series, but we're, we've come to the end of this letter. And uh, we'll take a break during Easter, and we'll go from the Garden to Golgotha, and not the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll start back the Garden of Eden all the way to Golgotha and show just the need for Jesus. And so it'll be an exciting Easter series. Um, but as we, and, and then after that, we'll jump right into Second Peter and see the second letter that Peter wrote. But as we come to the end of this letter, one of the things that Peter has reminded the church, and really the, the, the great context of this letter and the main idea is, hey, because you have a living Lord, you have a living hope. And because you have this living hope and you're aligned with him, while the world is upside down, and because of the upside-downness of the world, it's going to come against you, and you're going to experience difficulty, pain, hardship, trouble, suffering. All of that is going to be normal in a life of a faithful believer. But at the same time, when you walk in the Spirit, when you stand firm in the faith, there's peace, there's joy. It, it, to put it another way, there's beautiful, life-giving music. So... Peter reminds us again this morning as we get to the end here. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 14. Let's check it out. Peter writes, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to, to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your, by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Last week, if you were with us, or just to remind you, Peter kind of ended the section that we looked at last week by saying, hey, you persecuted church, you're going through all this stuff, you can take all of your anxieties, all of your fears, all of your difficulties, and you can throw it on Jesus, right? Cast it all on him, and he's going to take care of you. Why? Because there's this great promise, because he cares for you. 
And when you think about it, you almost look at it and say, well, that would be a great part. Just like stop right there, Peter. I mean, put an exclamation point, you know, and then do your customary greetings. Let's just end the letter right here on this note of hope and just putting it all on Jesus, and and then it's going to be good. Uh, But Peter doesn't do that. In fact, that's really just mid-paragraph. You know, he, he, he didn't even take a breath. He didn't set, set down his pen. He just keeps writing. And the next thing he says is, oh, and by the way, you know, you got to be sober-minded, watchful, alert, because you've got an enemy, the devil, and he's prowling around like a roaring lion. And he wants to eat you for lunch. Okay? So, yeah, it's hard. But I think part of the point there is, hey, just because Jesus cares doesn't mean that we can be careless. Okay? Just because Jesus cares doesn't mean, okay, now we can just coast and life is going to be just, you know, gumdrops and rainbows. And because sometimes we think that. Sometimes we have this misconception. That, okay, because Jesus cares, life is easy. And that's been the whole point of Peter's letter. No, no, no. Because Jesus cares, it doesn't mean life is easy. It actually means sometimes quite the opposite because the world doesn't care about Jesus. And so when you're aligned with him... Well, it, sometimes it invites suffering, it invites pain, it invites difficulty. And Peter says that there is an enemy, an adversary, the devil, and he's prowling around like a roaring lion and he wants to eat you for lunch. But hey, be sober-minded, don't panic, uh, you know, just be alert. And you're thinking, well, how am I supposed to do that? I mean, that sounds really scary, you know, the, the devil wants me for lunch and I'm supposed to be like sober-minded about this? Like, how, how do you not panic? Well, it's interesting. I was, I was reading a little bit about lions this week, okay? And I had a couple misconceptions. I always thought that, okay, you get this picture of, of this devil, the lion, and he's roaring. And I just thought he's roaring because he's like ravenous, you know? He's just hungry, starving. He just wants to, you know, eat us for lunch, and, and, and this is his attitude. Did you know that lions never roar when they're hungry? I didn't realize that. They don't roar when they're hungry. They're actually as quiet as possible when they're hungry and on the hunt because they're going through the tall grasses. They're trying to be really quiet so they can come up and, uh, upon their prey and just kind of stalk them and, and attack them when they're least suspecting. I didn't know that. And a couple other things I didn't realize, too, is, you know, lions, when they do roar, they only roar for uh, two occasions. One is to announce to the other members of their pride that here's where I am, okay? So they're, they're commuting to the, communicating to the other lions, here's where I am. The other reason why they roar is to announce to the animal kingdom, this is my domain, okay? Right here, this is my area, don't mess with it because I'm the biggest and baddest cat in the jungle, all right? So that's why they roar. And so you get this idea of Satan here, and he's, he's roaring to announce to his other demon buddies, like, hey, follow me. You know, I'm the leader, here's where I am, and just like we hear the voice of our good shepherd and follow him, so the demons hear the voice of Satan and they follow him. And at the same time, he's roaring to announce to the earth, hey, this is my domain, right? I'm the biggest, baddest cat in the jungle on planet earth, this is mine. And so he's staking out his claim. That's what he's doing. He's staking out his claim for planet earth, that's why he's roaring. Now, some other things that I learned was, uh, you know, lions, do you know who they attack when, when they go and attack other animals? They, they go for the weak and the most vulnerable. They go for the newborn of the flock or the herd. They, they go for the one who may be injured or, or the one who is disconnected from the group. They go for the unsuspecting. 
know, in the same way, Satan, he's looking for those who are weak. He's looking for the spiritually immature, those disconnected from Jesus. And he's finding that, okay, you're weak. I can pounce on you. I can attack you. I can destroy your life. I'm going to lay claim to you. That's who he's looking for. He's looking for the weak, the unsuspecting. Um, On average, an adult lion weighs 420 pounds, and they can consume 100 pounds of meat in one sitting. All right? They stand, their shoulders, when they're on all fours, their shoulders are about four feet off the ground when they're full grown. And so you can just imagine this big lion, they're eye to eye, almost face to face with you. And this is the picture that we're getting of Satan. He's mean, he's bad, he's deadly, his pursuit is unrelenting, and he wants to take hold of those uh, who don't know Jesus and keep them. And at the same time, for those who do know Jesus, he wants to... Uh, compromise your testimony, destroy your lives, so what you say is almost like of no use to the rest of the world. And one of the things Satan does when that happens, every time that we respond to Satan's traps, uh, our joy is muted, our praise ceases for a moment, our service is stunted, and Satan mocks. Satan mocks God. It's as if he's saying, hey, there's another one who went after the forbidden fruit, you thought he was yours. No, no, no. I got another one. I got another one. I got another one. I'm, I'm neutralizing more of who you think are yours. And so here Peter is saying, here's how you respond, church. Here's how you respond. You don't panic. You be sober-minded and you resist. See, I think one of the things that Satan wants us to do is just to completely ignore him. You know, just, well, I'm so educated. I don't really believe in all that stuff. And, and just completely ignore him as he's lurking in the shadows wanting to destroy your lives. And one of the ways you resist is you're aware, right? You're not panicked. You're not fearful. You're aware and you're resisting. And how do you resist? Well, he lurks in the shadows. And part of what we do is we bring everything to the light, right? I mean, we just sang this morning that hey, Jesus, he's, he's the light of the world, And, uh, you know, on the streets, there's no darkness, the streets of heaven, right? Because he lights it up. And so in this life right now, sometimes there's this temptation to keep stuff in the dark, right? Well, I just want to keep this hidden. I don't want anybody to know about this. I got hurts, fears, struggles, whatever, anxieties. I don't want anybody to know about it. And part of what we do is we cast it all on Jesus, right? We're open, we're honest with him. And sometimes it's also helpful to have people in our lives, members of the church family who we can go to and say, here's, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's, here's, what I'm, here's, here's some of my hurts. Can you pray for me? Why? Because we need people to encourage us and to, to, to challenge us and to pray for us and those type of things. And so by bringing it into the light, we're simply relying on Jesus. We're getting out of the shadows, all right? And that's part of how we resist, because our, our big advantage here is this. It's not our own strength, right? In our own strength, if we try to combat, you know, well, I'm going to keep it in the darkness. Nobody needs to know, but I'm going to fend off Satan. No, no, you're probably going to get devoured, right? Our big advantage is that we stand firm in the faith because we draw on the limitless resources of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's where the win is right, is continuing to draw on the limitless resources of Jesus. And there's a strength that comes in standing firm in the faith. And 
Peter, he gives this picture, really. It's a beautiful picture of a brotherhood of believers who across the globe, as if they're standing hand in hand, arm in arm, saying, yeah, we're, we're suffering. Yes, there's hardship. Yes, there's difficulty. But we're standing firm in Jesus Christ. And we're under the banner of Jesus Christ as we stand against the devil who's out to devour us. And hey, you're in a battle. There's sufferings. There's difficulty. There's hardship. Jesus wasn't immune to those either. He, he knew that. He experienced all of that. But in this, there's a brotherhood. That yeah, you're struggling right now. Somebody else is too. You're going through a hard time right now. Yes, somebody else is too. And you say, oh great. There's not just one of us who are hurting, right? Yeah, there's more. How comforting is that? No, no, the comforting, the comforting aspect is this. It's not that, oh, yeah, there's a bunch of Christians who are hurting all over the world. No, no, that's not the comfort. The comfort is, hey, there's a bunch of Christians who are being persecuted, who are going through hard things, but they are standing firm in the faith, resisting the attacks of Satan. And if they can do it, if they can stand firm in Jesus Christ, you can too. You can stand firm. He's the God of all grace. And so... You know, this, this grace is what leads us to victory. And grace is so good and so amazing that sometimes we have a hard time even comprehending it, right? Even in the church, we have a hard time believing it. It's so good. We, most of us have this understanding about grace. That, okay, I understand that God demonstrated his grace for us and that uh, he allowed Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sin and to raise again, defeating sin and death on our behalf. There's no way that I could be fit for relationship with God apart from God's grace and, and what Jesus did for me. And we get that, right? But then it's like the next step. Like, okay, but now, in order for God to be happy with me, Man, I've, I've, I've really got to, like, step up to the plate here. I've, in order for him to, like, smile or be on my team or whatever, to feel good about who I am, well, I, you know, I need to check these boxes and things. And I've talked to people, and they've, they've, they've made comments to me before. Well, you know, I'm giving up this in hopes that God will see this and be happy with me. Listen, here's the reality. God, as Peter writes, is the God of all grace. How does he interact with his people? On the basis of grace, all right? It's not that the grace ever stops, okay? There's enough grace for you to get saved, but after that, you know, you're really going to have to work for this, and then I'll love you. No, no, no. He continually operates on the basis of grace. You see this? So what does that mean? It means that, yes, to save you, that was God's grace. To perfect you, all right, to sanctify you, how does that happen? On the basis of God's grace. For him to establish you in glory forever, ever, how does that happen? On the basis of his grace. It's all on the basis of his grace. This is how he interacts with his people. And so we're not clothed in our own righteousness, ever. It's never like, okay, now I'm good enough. Now he's going to be happy because I gave this up or I did my devotionals or I shared the gospel with somebody. No, no, no. It's never based on your works, your achievement, your performance. You're covered in the righteousness of Jesus. And so our obedience, our faithfulness, is always a thank you to the Lord. It's never like, okay, if I do this, now God's happy. But sometimes we miss that. And here Peter is just assuring the church, you win because of the God of all grace is with you. 
Okay, draw upon His grace. You're saved by grace. You're sustained by grace. You're sanctified by grace. You're established by grace. And you will be in glory because of His grace. It's all grace. Here's the point. God's never-ending grace entitles you to His never-ending glory. His never-ending grace is what entitles you to His never-ending glory. And He's called us to this eternal glory. He's going to take us there, right? We can't get there in ourselves. He's going to take us there. It's going to be great. And you can almost anticipate the church saying, man, I can't wait for that. That sounds great. That sounds awesome. But what about the here and now? Because there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of persecution. There's a lot of difficulty. What about this upside down world? Are you going to do anything about this? And Peter assures the church, God himself will restore, will confirm, will strengthen, and will establish you. God himself is the cause agent for all of that. So if you ever wondered, ever tempted to wonder, hey God, do you care about what's going on in my life? Maybe I don't feel like it. Do, do you see what's happening in my life? It hurts. This, this is hard. Do, do you see? Do you care? Are you involved? Peter's answer is, yes, he does. He does see. He is involved. He knows. Not because you're worthy of God's attention. It's because he's the God of all grace. And he's covered you in the righteousness of his son. And so now you are an adopted son and daughter of the most high God. And sometimes we look at this and say, oh man, it's so fantastic. But it also looks so futuristic. And yes, the ultimate fulfillment of all of this is future. But with the Greek grammar here, it's really clear that while the complete fulfillment is in the future, he's working all these things into reality right now. So yes, God will, uh, he, he, he will establish, he will strengthen, he will confirm, he will restore but he's already doing it right now. It's already in process. And so um, I just want to go through those four ideas with you just really quick. Um, God will and is restoring his people. And so you almost get this picture here of a church who's being persecuted and their heart is like in a million pieces because the, the suffering that they're enduring and the temporary hardship that they're going through and it's difficult and it's hard. And sometimes it's because of worldly satanic forces coming against uh, the church. And sometimes it's just a mess of our own doing because of the choices that we've made. And so here, here we are, and it's just a million pieces. And what is God doing? He's restoring his people. It's as if he's bending down. He's putting all the pieces of your lives back together. And he's making it even better than it was before. He restores. He's a God who is and will restore his people. But beyond that, he also confirms his people. He will and is confirming his people. And what that means is to solidify, okay, to make firm. And what he's doing, you can almost imagine that he's taking all of the difficulties of life, all of the hardship, all of the pain, and he's using it as a spiritual gem, all right, to, to, to strengthen you, to confirm, to solidify your faith to solidify your dependence, to solidify your trust, okay? to solidify this perseverance that you're going to be faithful in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then beyond that, 
God will and is strengthening his church. He, he provides a firm foundation so that we can stand up against the storms of life. And there are those storms when you feel just like keeling over. And you say, oh man, I, I don't know how I can deal with this one. And you don't want to get out of bed or you, you just want to curl up in a ball or something like that. And what does God do? He strengthens you so that you can get out of bed the next day. So that you continue to live and continue to love and continue to praise and continue to worship. Continue to sing. Continue to smile. Continue to have hope. Right? He strengthens his church. Beyond that, God will and is establishing his church. And that word to establish means to root you, okay? And what's he rooting us in? He's rooting us in his son, Jesus Christ. He's rooting us in him. He's establishing us in him so that everything we need for life and ministry, he's already given us. Right? He's given it to us in his Son. And so by the Spirit, you know, Paul wrote in Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He's already given you that. He's given you all that in the Spirit. And he's just rooting you and establishing you in that. See, sometimes we go through hard things, we go through difficult things, and we think, right? And so our prayers look like, God, can you just give me some patience here? I need patience for this. God, can you give me joy here? My joy just seems sapped, right? Can, can you give me some goodness? I'm really having a hard time like being kind to these people. And w- what is Peter telling us? What has Paul already told us? He's already given it to you. He's just establishing you. He's rooting you in what is already yours. It's not like you need it. You've already got it. Our great work is just being faithful and being obedient and being established in what Jesus has already given, right? And so we're being rooted, we're being established ultimately in Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we go through hard times, we go through difficulty, and we're praying, and it doesn't seem like the prayers are going anywhere, right? It's like, man, God, I don't feel like you're hearing me. I almost wonder, is there some kind of like, angelic board or committee who's determining like what prayers make it to God and which ones don't and for whatever reason you just feel like I don't think mine are getting through because it doesn't seem like he's doing anything it doesn't seem like he hears it doesn't seem like my circumstances are changing and so if you're ever tempted to think that way what is Peter's advice here what what is his comfort oh he hears he hears in fact he's the agent who is working on your behalf to restore to confirm to strengthen and to establish you. This is what he does for his church. You are deeply loved. So you can take all your anxieties, you can take all your fears, and you can cast them on him because he does care. And here's how he's working. Here's what he's doing in your life. Just trust him. And so how, how do you respond to that? It's such good news. How do you respond to that? Well, I can tell you how Peter responded because we see it. In verse 11, okay, it's a doxology. It might not just come off the page to us, but it's a doxology, which means it's a hymn, it's a lyric. How does he respond? He sings. He just praises the Lord. And he sings, this is what the early church would sing, that all dominion is the Lord's forever and ever, amen. All dominion is his. So you're in charge, God. You're going to sustain. I can trust you with all of this because you're powerful over all of it. And you know what that song was effectively to the Roman Empire? Treason. That's how, that's how Nero would have heard it. 
That's how any Roman Caesar would have heard it. It was treason. Why? Because they thought all dominion was theirs. Right? They were the powerful ones. And so if you're singing about the dominion of another, that's treasonous against the Roman Empire. And they were pretty powerful. I mean, on the outside looking in, you look at it and you think, well, they got a lot of dominion. Uh, they got, uh, hey, there was a saying, all roads led to Rome, right? I mean, they, they're, the, they're the biggest, baddest dude on the block. And uh, all they needed, uh, one word, right? And armies would march up and they'd go and they'd topple other kingdoms and their dominion would grow and become more powerful. I mean, just one word. And they had 10,000 slaves who would come and they would meet whatever want, whatever whim they had. I mean, you look at it and you think, well, they're powerful. They've got the dominion. And here's Peter. And he's singing and he's saying, not so fast. There's one who truly has all dominion. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And his dominion will last forever and ever and ever. Amen. And you look at it today and you say, okay, where do you find the Roman Empire? In your history books. You know, that's it. Where's the Roman Empire? It's in your history books. You know? I mean, who's naming their kid Nero today? Nobody. You only name your dogs that, right? There's no dominion there anymore. Right? No, all dominion is the Lord's. And so Peter, he's encouraging the church with that fact. That, hey, yes, there's trouble, there's hardship, there's pain, there's persecution. There are these things, yes. But you can take it all to Jesus. The one who redeems, restores, the one who confirms, the one who strengthens, the one who establishes you. His dominion is everlasting. And from there, we get Peter's final comments, okay? His final greetings. And this is just Greek letter writing, customary form of the day, okay? So there's usually final greetings, a Greek salutation at the end. And so he sends greetings from Silvanus, uh, a faithful brother. We say, okay, well, who's Silvanus? Well, for starters, he was a, a Roman. Uh, he was a Roman. He was cultured. He was well educated. Uh, you probably know him better, not by his Latin name Silvanus, but by his Greek name Silas. Okay, you meet Silas in Acts chapter fifteen. He's he's one of the the, the leaders in the Jerusalem Council, and he's one of the ones who really makes it so that the church is rightly recognized as both Jew and Gentile. You all have equal standing, all right? It's not just the Jews who are special, but Jews and Gentiles. Uh, we learn a little bit more about Silas because um, Paul and Barnabas, on their first missionary journey, you may remember there's John Mark. John Mark, he, he deserts, okay? He just wants to go home. He wants to be done with this. It's hard. It's difficult. And he's out of there. And so at the end of it, uh, Barnabas is saying, hey, let's take John Mark back. Let's give him another chance. And Paul's saying, no, John Mark, he committed the sin of apostasy. He, you know, he, his hand was on the plow and he turned back. He's not worthy to be a disciple. They're both right, okay? Neither one of them are necessarily wrong. But there's this, there's this sharp disagreement. And they part ways. Barnabas will take John Mark. Paul will take Silas. All right? And now here we are, about 25 years later. Peter's been connected to Silas. And Peter's saying Silas is a faithful brother. In fact, it was Silas who probably penned this, uh, this letter that we're reading. Okay? Uh, Peter probably dictated it, and Silas probably wrote it all down. And here Peter is just commending Silas for his faithfulness. All right? And so one of the takeaways from this is 
when there are faithful brothers and sisters who are serving our Lord well, it's good to encourage them. It's good and right to, to recognize their faithfulness and their efforts and to come alongside and say, man, they're doing a great, you're doing a great job. Thank you for your faithfulness. It's good and right to do that. And this is what uh, uh, Peter is doing here for Silas. Now, he goes on and he basically summarizes the message of the book here at the end. Okay, He says, stand firm in the grace of God. In other words, church, you're suffering, you're being persecuted, it's hard, it's difficult, but here's what you do. In an upside-down world, you continue to stand firm in the grace of God. And that's the encouragement for us today as the church as well. That, hey, you're still the ambassadors. You're still the representatives. God has handpicked you for this generation. He had Peter and Silas and Paul and Barnabas and others for that generation but you are the church that he has handpicked for this generation. So continue to be faithful, to stand firm in the grace of God. Make disciples where he's called you to live, work, study, and play. And then you get more greetings after that, okay? You get greetings from the woman in Babylon, all right? You say, well, who in the world is the woman in Babylon? Well, most scholars agree that Peter is talking about the persecuted church in Rome, okay? Babylon is going to show up multiple times in the New Testament. Every time it shows up, most of the time it's for Rome. It's not always for Rome. Most of the time it's for Rome, but it always shows up whenever you're talking about a place that has an upside-down value, satanic value system full of immorality and idolatry, much like Babylon, okay? And you see it multiple times to refer to the Roman Empire because, well, the Roman Empire was full of immorality and idolatry, just like Babylon. So here's Peter saying, okay, the church in Rome sends you her greetings. And uh, he uses the term Babylon. Why? Because he's protecting the church there, okay? The church in Rome and the difficulties and the struggles that they're enduring. He doesn't want to draw more attention to them and risk more suffering and more persecution for them. But at the same time, he's writing to a church on other, in other aspects of the local, uh, or of the Roman Empire. And he's, and he's letting them know, you're suffering, but there's other aspects of the church who's suffering too. But they're standing firm. They, they're sending you greetings. You keep on, keep on being faithful. And here's one of the realities that we need to, to recognize, that uh, don't ignore the suffering in the lives of others. Don't ignore the reality of suffering in the lives of others. You know, you might be suffering. You might be going through a difficult time. There's others who are suffering too. And God can use your pain. And he can use the trials of your life to minister and to encourage and to build up and to strengthen others who are going through difficult times. Or maybe, hey, this is a great season of life. You know, you're on one of those mountaintops where things are really going well. Don't forget that there's others in the church who are going through some pains right now, some difficulties right now. Encourage them, pray for them, seek what, see what needs you can meet on their behalf. This, this is who the church is. And so um, it's a universal church. You know, Peter, he's, he's drawing the attention to a church, a local expression of Christ's church in one particular area. And he's pointing their attention to another area, another local expression of Christ's church. And so one of the things we understand is the church is not American. 
The church is not Roman. The church is not German, Australian, whatever nation you want to put in there. No, the church is ultimately under the banner of Jesus Christ. And he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and our citizenship will be there. And it will all be under his dominion. We will be, as Peter wrote in chapter 2, one holy nation, forever worshiping as members of this nation of the redeemed. And he's, he's underscoring that fact right here as you consider and you pray for those um, and encourage those around the world who may be, may be suffering and hurting. Then you get a greeting from John Mark, okay? The same John Mark that we just talked about, the, the deserter who caused the disruption between Paul and Barnabas. Uh, this same John Mark now sends his greetings to the church as well. He's faithful, again, serving the church here about 25 years later. And what does that tell you? Just because you blow it, just because you mess up royally, doesn't mean God's done with you. Doesn't mean he can't use you to encourage and to strengthen and to build up the church later, right? It, you're, you're not taken out of the game just because you mess it up, all right? There's redemption. There's restoration. God does this in the lives of his people. You see it in John Mark. And then you have the final greeting, peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting. Uh, you remember in the upper room, this is after, when Jesus meets with his disciples in the upper room after the resurrection. Remember one of the last things he says to his disciples? Peace be with you. It's one of the last things he says. And you look at that, and you realize what's in store for the disciples. And from the outside, it's like anything but peace, okay? Because they're going to become like primary target number one of the Roman Empire, all right? They've dealt with Jesus. He's killed. He's resurrected, whatever. They're just trying to cover that up. But now they're the ones because they're going to be the message bearers. They're going to be the ambassadors right there in the first century telling people about Jesus. Their lives are going to be anything but peaceful, okay? They're all going to be martyred except for John. He's going to be exiled off on an island to die alone. I mean, it's not going to be peaceful. And what does Jesus say? Peace be with you. And you look at that and say, well, what kind of peace are you talking about? See, here's the reality. that There is a peace treaty that is signed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And for all who know him by faith, your names are signed in that peace treaty. And there is a peace that comes that passes understanding, the Bible talks about. That doesn't even make sense, right? This world is upside down and it's broken. And sometimes the forces of this world, it will come against you and it will attack you. And it will be painful and it will be hard and it will be difficult. But there is peace. There is a peace that transcends understanding. That is only possible through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the message of 1 Peter. Stand firm in the faith, right? Because there is peace there. There is hope there. There is faith there. There is joy there. So continue. Church, stand firm in the faith. Have confidence. No matter what your present circumstances are telling you, have confidence. Because the dominion of our Lord lasts forever. And it is a dominion of peace. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you were the God of peace. God, that you bring peace to hurting hearts, to difficult places, 
to hard times. God, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of suffering and pain, God, you provide a peace that even passes our ability to understand. And so, God, our, our job right now is to continue to stand firm in the faith, right? God, to rely and to draw and to continue to be rooted and established in what you have already given us through your Son. God, we, as your church, are in need of nothing because it's already been given. May we be faithful. God, will you do the work that you promised to do in our lives? Will you restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your Son, Jesus. Amen.